today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. But God has His eye upon me, and when God's eye is upon me, you know what that means? No thing, no one, no opposition, no weapon forged against me can prosper. You can come against me with all the opposition you want. If the hand of God is on me, if the call of God is on me, if the eye of God is on me, (laughs) you are a defeated foe. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. We serve a mighty God. How often we forget this fact. We get caught up in the perceived obstacles in front of us and become blinded to His greatness. Pastor J.D. reminds us in his message that when God sets something in our lives to be accomplished, nothing can stop it. We just need to remember this, live into it, and claim it. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ezra chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Well listen, let's um, get into the Word. Looking forward to our study tonight in Ezra. We're going to do two chapters tonight, Lord willing. And very interesting chapter in front of us here with chapter 5. It's going to get even a little bit more interesting in chapter 6. All right, let's jump in. Verses 1 and 2. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. That's interesting in and of itself. So the chapter begins by introducing us to two prophets, two Old Testament prophets, the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, both of whom... God uses to prophesy to the Jews concerning the rebuilding of the temple. Now, it's important to keep in mind that there were about 50,000 Jews who made this long and actually very difficult journey back to Jerusalem by way of the decree from Cyrus, king of Persia, which was a pretty remarkable prophecy in and of itself, according to the prophet Isaiah. And 150 years before he was even born, he was prophesied about by name, 150 years before he was born. And so this was a fulfillment of a prophecy just in having Cyrus issue this decree. Now here's the thing though, it's been 15 years 15 years has now passed since they arrived in Jerusalem and commenced with the rebuilding of the temple, which is actually kind of sad. And the reason I say that is because they had stopped the rebuilding 
because of the opposition they had faced, and they didn't need to. God would have seen them through, and so for the last 15 years, the temple lay in this condition. It was not rebuilt needlessly, unnecessarily, and now enter the prophet Haggai and Zechariah with him, but specifically the prophet Haggai prophesies to Zerubbabel, the governor, and it's really a rebuke. He's actually rebuking him as the governor over them because of the ceasing of the rebuilding of the temple. And if that weren't bad enough, he's actually rebuking them because instead of rebuilding the temple, for the last 15 years they've been building really nice houses for themselves. And that's what this prophecy from Haggai is going to be about. Actually, if you don't mind, I want to read the prophecy. It's in Haggai chapter 1. There's uh, 15 verses in chapter 1. And so you can just follow along. Certainly you can turn there if you want. It says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, and here's the, the prophecy, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. He's going to say that again here in a moment for the second time. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. In other words, you're making money, but it's disappearing. You're buying nice clothes, but you're not staying warm. It's just never enough. You drink, but your thirst is not satiated. You, you so much, but you know what? You're bringing in very little. You eat but it's just never enough, and that's why. And then he says, verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, and here it is for the second time, Consider your ways. I like how Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon writes in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, When times are good, during times of prosperity, enjoy. But when, not if, when, I wish it said if, when adversity strikes, I wish it said if adversity strikes, no, it says when, when adversity strikes, stop and consider your ways. Does God have your attention yet? The reason why you're not blessed is because maybe God needs to get your attention for the sake of redirection 
And this is one of those cases where, thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Verse 8, he says, Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. This is God's doing. This is God's doing. He is withholding the dew. He is withholding the fruit. And here's why. He says, verse 11, For I have called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. You think? Then Haggai, verse 13, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, all 50,000 of them. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now one of the reasons why I wanted to read this prophecy here in Haggai is because we're just told in verse 1 and 2 that they prophesied to Zerubbabel. And then verse 2 says, so they started rebuilding the work of the temple. Well that kind of leaves out a little bit of the, (laughs) we needed those blanks sort of filled in. Well no wonder verse 2 says they rose up and started the work of rebuilding the temple. That's quite a prophecy. How would you like to be on the receiving end of something like this? I'll personalize it. You can fill in the blanks in your own life with your own name. How would I feel if I'm on the receiving end of something like this? Thus says the Lord, JD, you're doing all of these things and I'm just, I just take and with effortlessly, I just blow it all away all your labor, all the works of your hands. And do you want to know why? Because you're building your own kingdom. And it's at the expense of my kingdom. Does this mean that God is against us having nice things? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But that was the priority. Meanwhile, the temple of the Lord is sitting in ruins while they're building these beautiful paneled houses. And this is taking place over a period of about 15 years. And God says, that's it. That's it. That's enough. The time has come. Interesting, the prophecy is, you say, well, it's not time to build the house of the Lord. Well, oh, really? 
So is it time then for you to build a nice house for yourself while the house of the Lord lays in ruins? Really? Okay, well, then this is why, simply put, there's no blessing from God on your life. It's not that God doesn't want to bless us. It's that God can't bless us. And by the way, God is looking for every reason to bless His people. God wants to bless us. God doesn't delight in withholding His blessing from us as He did. But there does come a time in the life of God's people where He will deem it necessary to withhold the blessing, if for no other reason other than to get our attention, because it's for our redirection. And to their credit, they take heed to it, and they commence now with the rebuilding work. Verse 3, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Buznai and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Here it comes. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then, accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But, and I love verse 5, I love verse 5, I love verse 5. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. This is, to me, one of those but God passages. Here comes the opposition. Remember we talked about this last week. Any time we set our foot to do that which God has called us to, you can be rest assured opposition is coming. In fact, in some regards, it validates and authenticates the call of God on your life. Opposition. When I get concerned is when the devil leaves me alone. It's like, really? <laughs> I must not pose any threat to the kingdom of darkness. See, this is a threat now. The people of God are going to rebuild the temple of God. You can be rest assured that opposition is coming. Guaranteed. And certainly, this is opposition. But God, but the eye of the Lord is on them. That's enough. That's all I need to hear. Oh, I'm being opposed. Oh, the enemy is attacking. Oh, there's spiritual warfare. <laughs> but God has his eye upon me. And when God's eye is upon me, you know what that means? No thing, no one, no opposition, no weapon forged against me can prosper. You can come against me with all the opposition you want. If the hand of God is on me, if the call of God is on me, if the eye of God is on me, <laughs> you are a defeated foe and I am a victor. You know what I love about being a conqueror is that I'm not just a conqueror and neither are you. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. You know what that means? That means... <laughs> 
No, Isaiah says, no weapon forged against me will ever conquer me because I'm more than a conqueror. I'm already the victor. Nothing can come against me. Oh, the, there's going to be opposition, but it will never prevail. Nothing formed or fashioned against the people of God will ever prevail or prosper. Not only is it a but God, it's a also a because God. And I'll explain why I say that. Because God had called them to rebuild the temple, it's going to happen. It's a done deal. It's yea and amen. If God said it, that settles it. Now, the question is, are they going to be faithful to the calling? I think of what, and we're going to talk about Esther tonight. I can't wait to get there. But uh, Esther, what an amazing story and account in the Word of God. Talk about the hand of God orchestrating the circumstances, the eye of God being on everything when it seemed that everything was against them. But I, I love it when Mordechai says to Esther, you, you better do this that God's called you to. God's positioned you for such a time as this. But here's the thing, Esther. If you don't do it, deliverance will come from somebody else. So, so that's the question here. So if you don't do this, God will find somebody who will. God will find somebody who will. God will do it with another if you're not faithful to do it. Because this is what God has positioned you for. God had called them back to Jerusalem out of captivity. And if they were to fail and not be found faithful in doing that which God had called them to do and orchestrated all of the circumstances to do, he would find another. And he would do it because God has ordained it be done. It will be done. That's it. Verse 6. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanai sent. The governor of the region beyond the river and Shathar Boznai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. They, verse 7, were told parenthetically, sent a letter to him in which was written thus. To Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known, verse 8, to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls and this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them. Who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also, verse 10, asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. You know, interesting. So far, this is pretty accurate. This is pretty honest. This is actually the account of what had happened. So, in all fairness, he's representing it correctly to Darius the king. Now, verse 11, And thus they returned us an answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. Speaking of Solomon. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, 
He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, verse 13, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem, he carried into the temple of Babylon. Those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to the one named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And, verse 15, he said to him, Take these articles, go, carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on his former site. Only God can do this, right? So, verse 16, Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction, and it is not finished. Now therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. That's what the letter said. And it's accurate, and it's being represented accurately. And all they're they're saying, all the Jews are saying, and Tatanai is reporting it back by way of this letter, and report to the king, King Darius. All they're asking is, do a search and find this decree from King Cyrus, and you will see that it is so. This Tatanai guy is sort of interesting to me, and I and I say that for a couple of reasons, one of which is that he seems to think that this decree from King Cyrus doesn't exist. Or, it's either that, or secondly, if it does exist, there's no way that it'll ever be found. Now, again, in all fairness to this guy, he's willing to proceed with the due process of searching out the matter. But think about this. It's been 15 plus years. And what's the likelihood that they're actually going to find it? Now, spoiler alert, they do find it, which is a a miracle in and of itself. But this is interesting in that it's a textbook case of God putting the right people in the right place at the right time. We are so glad you've joined us again for another look into the book of Ezra. We believe the Spirit of God is alive and active in the world today, and that He brings to life the words written in Scripture. We hope today's message has brought you life. If you'd like to hear more life-giving messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. While you're there, take a moment to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update in which Pastor J.D. discusses current events and their prophetic importance each Friday and Saturday. Here to tell you more about this is Pastor J.D. Thanks, Josh. Followers of Jesus Christ have this anticipating 
of his soon return at the rapture of the church, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. I'm of the belief that we are seeing key Bible prophecies beginning to come to pass in real time. And it's for this reason that we do these weekly prophecy updates as we look up and lift up our heads, knowing our redemption draws ever so near. This is what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28. Our hope here at In Spirit and Truth is that believers will be ready and non-believers will get ready by coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ while there's still time. Thanks, Pastor J.D., and thanks to you for being a part of our listening audience. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to meet you in person. Stop by Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays to worship with us and study the Word of God. Find directions and service times at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. And be sure to tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.